Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. I'm going to ask the teaching from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 onwards. We come to the last doctrine, which is the foundational teaching for every believer as well as for the church. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the basic fundamental principles, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, the first doctrine, second faith towards God, third doctrines of baptism, laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead we looked at last Sunday, and this Sunday, eternal judgment. Now, I want you to know, wherever you may be, those of you who are watching us, if you become stagnant and ritualistic in your Christian life, it is because you have not understood God's perspective for your life. Now, the way I see this doctrine of eternal judgment is the antidote for complacency. The meaning of the word complacency means self-satisfied, self-approved. And so many of us can be self-satisfied with life, self-satisfied with the way we live our Christian life and probably other areas of our life. We can self-approve our lives of what we do and how we live life. Complacency must be treated as a disease that robs us of greatness. Complacency is one thing that destroys the purpose for which God created you and me for. It destroys our destiny and the fulfillment of what God intended for our lives. Now, God never wanted you, never wanted anyone for that matter of fact, to live a purposeless life. Because at the end of the day, what we do on earth will have eternal consequences. This doctrine is called eternal judgment because it is God's last and final judgment or pronouncement that will last forever and nothing will change it. That's why it's called eternal judgment, last and final pronouncement. Now, the question that comes is, who will God judge? Every man that has ever lived will be judged. We looked last Sunday, every person, every individual that lived on the planet Earth will be resurrected and then everyone will be judged. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for men to die once, only once we die physically, but after that, there is a judgment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the ESV version says, for we must all appear. Can you say the word all? All of us may appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, can you say each one? Say it's talking to me. Say that again, it's talking to me. Each one, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body. What you have done, not what you intended to do, but what you've done. Someone said hell is paved with people who only had good intentions. And there are a lot of people with good intentions but lack the outworking of those intentions. And here the Bible is saying, each one must receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it was good or evil. So at the final judgment, all of mankind will be accountable for their actions. 
how will we be judged? Now the Bible tells us there are different record books in heaven, and God has recorded our actions and our motives in Scripture. The first one is the book of conscience. You know what a conscience is? I'm sure you do. Now the Bible says in Romans 2.14, for when Gentiles, Gentiles referring to those who are, don't believe in Christ, who do not have the law, never heard the gospel, and many times people ask the question, what if someone never heard the gospel? How will they be judged? This is your answer, according to their conscience. And there is a book that's opened according to one's conscience, who never heard the gospel. By nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. That means they have a conscience that tells them what is right and what is wrong, and they walk according to their conscience. Now, every single human being has a, the gift of conscience on the inside of them. None of us did something wrong and didn't know about it. Am I right? Any angels here? No. We all, at some point of time, did something and our conscience pricked us, whether we were saved or not saved. The only difference after salvation, that conscience is awakened even more by the Holy Spirit. And every one of us, the first time we did something wrong, we sinned, we felt miserable. But we did it again, we did it again, till we killed the voice of our conscience. But that conscience will stand as a verdict before God. And it says there, so should the work of the law written or in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or excusing them. Your conscience will accuse you or excuse you because you are faithful to your conscience. God's laws are written in the conscience of every man that's born on this earth. We all know what a guilty conscience is, especially when we do something wrong. The second book is the book of the law, the Bible, the Word of God. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For there is no partiality with God. God's not partial. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So if you're the one who walks according to the law, the law will testify against you or will approve you. Dangerous place to be. Because the law only has one responsibility, to accuse. If you live by the law, you will be accused or judged by the law. In verse 16, in the day referring to the final judgment day of God, when God will judge the secrets, can you say the word secrets? The word secret means motives and intentions of your heart. Secret, nobody knows. You've done a lot of good things, but only God knows and you know what the intentions were, the secret of your heart, of men of Jesus Christ according to the gospel. So the motives of our heart will also be revealed at that day of judgment. The third book is called the book of life. Now the names of all those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus will be written in the book of life. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books plural, were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works 
according to their works, their deeds, by the things that were written in the books. Revelation 20 verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, the books will reveal all your deeds, what we have done. Every single person who has contributed to the cause of the kingdom, your name will be written there. Every good work, every work of hospitality, every generous act, every soul that you won, every tract that was distributed, everything that you've done, your deeds are recorded in that book. It's another good thing. Maybe for some, and for some not so good. There will be two separate judgments. One judgment is for the unbelievers, which is also known as the white throne judgment. And the white throne judgment is about all those who didn't believe in Jesus, as well as the fallen angels, Satan and his demons. Let's look at what Jesus said about these two judgments. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Don't be scared. There's a positive side to this message. Matthew 25, 31 onwards says, that's why I said it's the antidote for complacency. When the Son of Man comes in, the in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right, that's the righteous people, and the goats on His left. Now, this is what my lecturer in Singapore told me. It's very easy to differentiate between a sheep and a goat. And this is what he said. A sheep will follow a goat butts. And you've got a lot of goats in the kingdom who ask, but why, but why, but why, why should I do that? But why should I go there? But why? If you're having too many butts in your conversation, you know what to do. Hello, are you there with me? Tell someone next to you, don't butt, just follow. Don't but. So on the right will be the righteous, will be the sheep. On the left will be the goats, the unrighteous. I'm cutting short the story, going down to verse 37, same chapter. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we ever do that to you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You know, a righteous person will do something without being instructed to do it. And that's why they asked the question, when did we do it? We didn't even know we were doing it. But they were motivated with godliness. There was an inborn instinct to do what was right and to reach out. And God says, whatever you've done, whatever you've done to the least of my brethren, who did we do it for? We did it for him. Verse 41, and then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, fire that doesn't go out, prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. Verse 44, then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say, 
Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And so there is a lot to do with our relationship with God in the context of our relationship with society, community, and with one another. You can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with people or the community that God has put us into. They're all one and the same thing because we're all His creation. We all have a responsibility. And Jesus said in verse 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, everlasting life. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, talks about the final judgment over demons and Satan. The devil who deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever. Can you say the word forever? For all that the enemy has done to you and me, he will be tormented forever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. That's for those who didn't live a righteous life and for Satan and his kingdom. Now we look at the judgment of believers, the second judgment, the judgment of believers which is also known as the judgment seat of Christ. All those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be gathered around the judgment seat of Christ and will give account to the life that we lived on earth. In Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says, and now this is how the New Testament Christians or the apostles lived their lives with heaven's perspective. Can you say heaven's perspective? There was a sense of eternity ringing in the hearts of every one of them. They had a, a glimpse of what eternity will be like. And that's why it's such an important foundation in our Christian life. To have the sense of knowing this life doesn't end here, but there is something beyond. Now, this is what the Bible says. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt? Why do you show disrespect or scorn somebody for your brother? For we shall all stand above the judgment seat of Christ. That means... Our relationship will also be revealed before God. How did we handle our relationship? That's why the Bible tells us, leave that judgment to God. Let Him be the judge and let our hearts be pure. The purpose of this judgment for believers is not to condemn us, but to reward us. Now, there's the good news about it. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be judged in terms to be condemned, but to be rewarded. All believers are already judged because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took our judgment of sin and condemnation on the cross. And because we believe that, we will escape that judgment of condemnation for our sins. But we will all be judged for the way we live our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we are confident. Who? Oh, the apostles think this to the church. We are confident, yes. Well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Talking about believers. Therefore, we make it our aim, our ambition, our goal, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. So this is God's perspective. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Whether we are in the body or in the spirit, whether we are present in this world or not, there is only one motivation, and that motivation is to be, say, well-pleasing. Not just pleasing, well-pleasing to who? To God. 
everything that we do in this life must be worked out with our perspective that God is watching. We are accountable for our words. We are accountable for our deeds. We are accountable for our actions and the way we live life on the earth. Eternal perspective. Then it goes on to sing verse 10. For we must, who appear? All. Who? All appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And can you say this after me? Each one. Say it again. Each one. So no one will escape. It's not like uh, you being in college where you can duck and someone can say proxy for you. A bunk. Each one will have to give an account of the things which we did, which we have done in the body and according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So now there is our motives that's being judged. Our intentions will be revealed before God, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Now the Greek word for the word judgment means a decision resulting from an investigation. Now when there is a crime scene, the police officers will investigate to find out who the criminal is. The judgment seat for Christians, or we before God, will be investigated of how we live life on the earth. That means your deeds and your motives will be in the light and transparent. What we've done with our gifts, what we've done with our talents, our abilities, our money, everything will be investigated. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, the Living Translation, So do not make judgments about anyone ahead of time, but before the Lord returns, He will bring our darkest secrets, something that we've never been able to reveal to others, our darkest secrets, to light and will reveal our private motives. Now, we all like to be involved in activity, but your motive determines whether your work will be acceptable or not. Why do you want to be in the worship team? Why? Why do you want to be on the ministry team? Why do you want to be on the serving team? Why do you want to give generously? Is it with a motive, dark secret, to be famous like that testimony? She would testify to be accepted, to be validated. And the darkest secret, thank God, was revealed here on earth rather than in heaven. And our motives for service, our motives for ministry, our motives for preaching will be examined before God. The darkest secrets will be brought to light. It will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. And if our motivation was to glorify God full stop, then God will give us praise. He will commend us. There will be praise the way you lived your life on earth. And that's talking about believers. Today we know Jesus as our Savior, but on that day we will know him as a judge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5, talks about how we as believers will be judged. And listen to this carefully. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 following. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers, the word ministry means servant. We are just servants through whom you believed 
as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Paul talking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it is God who gives the increase. Now, I like that. The one who puts up the chairs, the one who sponsors for the meeting, or the one who, who just serves will get the same reward as the one who preaches and calls people to the altar and give their lives to the Lord. Same reward. One is planting, the other one is watering, but it is God who gives the increase. We need those who water and we need those who even plant. It says, so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it is God who gives the increase. One can't say they're greater than the other because eventually the increase comes from God. Now he who plants, probably sharing the gospel, he who waters, those who, who pray, encourage, disciple, are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. According to what God has called you, you will receive a reward. For we all, that's all of us, are God's fellow workers. We work with God. You are God's field. The people in the world are God's field. You are God's building. Now, you can't be a building by your individual self. We are building when we come together as people. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, have laid the foundation. Which foundation? Hebrews chapter 6. And that's why Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 is a very important foundation for every believer. He says, like a wise master builder, I have laid this foundation in each one's life, making sure that everyone, belief and faith, is established on these six foundational doctrines, repentance, baptism, and what we read earlier. Then it goes, and goes on to say, and another person builds on it. He lays the foundation, the teaching, the doctrines of, of the church in a believer's life, but others go on to build on it. But let each one take heed how he builds, not what he builds, but, say it again, how he builds. And God is looking at a deeper aspect than just the building. How you built that building? What was your motive? How did you do it with dedication or you just did it with casualness? Did you do it for reputation or you did it for his glory? Goes on in verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which one already laid. Talking about the foundations of Jesus Christ being a foundation stone. The doctrines of Hebrews 6, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, referring to the judgment day, will bring to light. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test. Can you say the word quality? Not the quantity, but the quality of each person's work, each person's ministry, each person's service. The quality will be tested. Now, I looked at this and I probably break it down for you. In these few verses, it's talking about two kinds of builders, two kinds of materials, and two kinds of rewards. Okay? Now, let's look at the two kinds of builders. One builder uses material, gold, silver, and costly stones. The only gold you can take to heaven is what you get there. 
all what you have, you have to leave it behind. Every precious stone, leave it behind. He wouldn't want to take that when you get to heaven. That would be more real, genuine. Okay, but anyway. One uses gold, silver, and precious stone, and the other material or other builder uses wood, hay, and straw. Now, if I have to put here you know, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, which will look bigger? The wood, hay, and straw, or would it be the precious stones in gold and silver? Which one? Hey, you know, you will have to have a lot of gold to match wood. And a definitely a lot more silver and precious stone in order to match the hay. Hay is big, but no substance. Wood is temporary. Now, there's two kinds of material. One will last forever, and the other will vanish whenever there's a crisis. Wood, hay, and straw is talking about temporal. You've only built for this world, for reputation, for acknowledgement, for fame. You only did it so that you can get some satisfaction for what you did. You did it in a temporal motivation. But the other ones, silver, gold, and precious stones, are eternal. They, they, they use things with an eternal perspective, that what they do must last for eternity. Two builders, two kinds of material, and two outcomes, two rewards. And both, the builder that uses gold, silver, and, and precious stones, as well as the builder that uses wood, hay, and, and straw, both their works will be tested by fire. Now, fire in the Bible is talking about purification. Did you know that in this world, our faith is tested like fire? Fire purifies. The more you put gold into fire, the more refined gold you will get. The more you put silver in fire, the more refined fire, silver you will get. And these are people who've gone through a process of refining that now, when their works are tested before the judgment seat of Christ, fire never affects them. But those who built with wood, hay, and straw, never been through the fire, never been through testing, escape and avoided all the process that God wanted to do in their life, be tested by fire, and it will vanish. Look what it says in verse 14. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Will. There is a reward for those who build diligently. There is a reward for those who build with a sense of genuineness and sincerity before God. But there is also a consequence or different reward for those who didn't do it. Verse 15, if it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping from the flames. You might have just passed the flames. What happened to your work? Vanished. All your work, every single thing that was done with the wrong ungodly motive, will stand meaningless in the presence of God at the day of judgment. It goes on to say in verse 14. Read that. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but though he will be saved. You will be saved, but your work will be destroyed. So the judgment of a believer is based on the investigation Jesus makes whether we will be rewarded or we would suffer loss, great loss. It's like all your earnings, 
everything that you put in into this line, and suddenly it just vanishes because of bankruptcy. Terrible. I always think in a flood, people built their lifetime, put their lifetime in their homes, in their jewels, in their documents. And then one natural disaster. You know, even to think about that is overwhelming. I told Anne, we lost, or we, one suitcase was robbed. Just imagine a whole house, a whole lifetime gone. Now, at least as long as you live on the earth, you can get back some of those material things. But this is the last final pronouncement over the life that we've lived. You can't go back. You can't say, Lord, let the fire pass, and then I'll have a second chance. There is no second chance. Now, listen to this carefully. Your faith in Christ will determine for you where you will spend eternity, but what you do with your life here on earth will determine how you spend eternity. Did you get that? I'm going to say it again. Your faith in Christ will determine where you will spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. If you're a believer, it's eternal heaven. But how we live our lives will determine how we will be rewarded in heaven. Now, according to the judgment, we can either suffer loss or we'll receive rewards. What if God told you that you have only one year to live and then face judgment? How many of you will want to alter some of the things that you are doing in your life? Now, that's living with heaven's perspective. You have only one year. God says, I'm going to give you one year and then your time will come knocking. What will be your priorities? What will be your goal? What will be your motivation? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. The people around you who intimidate you, who have ungodly intentions towards you, they can only kill your body or rob your goods. But after that, there is no more that they can do to you. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed, has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And then it goes on to say, Are not five sparrows sold two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. See the perspective. And again, I want to draw you to the whole aspect of eternal life. Eternity with God. I want to impress upon you this morning that there is a place of being accountable before the judgment seat of God. And nothing, what you do on this world, will be discounted before God. Everyone, each one's work will be tested. Our Christian life will not be evaluated of how we started our Christian life, but eternal judgment is about how we finish our Christian life. And that's a challenge for all of us. For some, we could start well but end bad. And for some, can start bad but end well. Eternal judgment is not about how you started. Eternal judgment is how you finished. Now, when you read the Bible, in more passages than one, we see these two metaphors referred to constantly. The word builder and build. Am I right? Builder and build. Two words commonly used in the scriptures. By nature, all of us are builders. And if we're not building something, then we're destroying something. Think about it. And I reflected on this the whole week. 
If you're not building something, you're destroying something. If you're not building your home, you're destroying your home. If you're not building your career, you're destroying your career. I'm going on more and more to this. There is nothing in between. Either you're building or destroying. The reason why we do a degree is because we want to build a career for ourselves. The reason why you choose a job with good salary is because you want to build a good life for yourself. If you got married, you got married because you want to build a family. You maintain certain spiritual disciplines, spending time with God and His Word, because you want to build your Christian life. You get involved in church because you want to be involved in the kingdom. You want to build something in the kingdom. So we are constantly building something, whether you're aware of it or not, or if you're not building, you're destroying. If you're not proactive in doing something, building something, then you're destroying it. That's why I said complacency must be treated as a disease because it robs you of everything in life. Before a sickness or your loss could come, complacency comes knocking. Always before a big loss comes complacency. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. If you're not for him, you're against him. And whoever does not gather is one who scatters. So what is Jesus saying? If you're not building, you're scattering. If you're not gathering, just living life, allowing things to scatter. And the reason why Jesus said this was in the context when people accused him of Beelzebub. He was casting out a demon by a higher demon. And then he said this, if they're not with me, then they are against me. If they're not gathering, then they're scattering. There is something that Jesus came into this world to build. Can you tell me what it is? Can I hear you, please? He came to build his church. He says, I will build my church. The only thing that Jesus wants to build on planet Earth is not a great business, not a great reputation. He wants to build his church. His church is about you and me. And he wants us to play a part in his building program. That's why the church itself is called a spiritual house, a building. Your body is called a house because we are building something. God wants to build something on the inside of you and through you. The story comes to my mind where there were two brothers. The older brother was an advocate. The other brother was a businessman. And this businessman was successful and he would live a compromising life. And every time he got into trouble, he would go to his brother, and his brother being an advocate would get him out of trouble. Seven to ten years passed, he got caught for a corruption case. He thought, don't problem, my brother was always there to bail me out. I'm going back to my brother. He goes back to his brother and says, look, I've got caught with this case, corruption case. I need your help. And the brother looks at him and says, all these years I was able to help you, but not this time. I said, why? He says, all this time I was an advocate to save you, but now I'm promoted to be a judge. And so I can't save you this time. Till we live our life on this earth, he will be our advocate. But when we stand before the judgment seat of God, he will not represent us as savior. He will represent us as judge. I want you to see this 
of how we will be rewarded as a believer and how we can lose our reward as a believer. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about a parable. And I'm going to read. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And I wondered, when you travel abroad or you travel to another city, you don't call your servants and entrust them with goods. You call your friend or you call your family members and you entrust them with your goods. But Jesus is giving us a narrative of how this man called his servants and entrusted them with his goods. That was the level of trust. And in that context, we are his servants. Goes on to say to one was given five talents, to another two, and to the other one. You see, in three kinds of material, silver, gold, and precious stones, you see in wood, hay, and straw. And look at this now. Five talents, two talents, one talent. To each according to his own ability. Now, not everyone can do what I'm doing. Not everyone can do what you're doing. We all have our own abilities. We all have stamina to do what God has called us to do. We all have the ability and the gifting to do things with ease because that's the ability that God's given to you. And here Jesus is saying, each one is given according to their own ability, your own ability. Now, you have an ability that you need to discover what that ability is. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, I want you to pause for a moment. No instruction, no manual, no to-do list. He gives them this talent and takes off on a journey. Then he who received the five talents went, traded with them, and made another five talents. Can you see another? Aha, not convincing. Another five. One more time. Another five. You know, we have misinterpreted this parable for years. Till one day I got a revelation of this word. It didn't talk about using your talent. It talks about multiplying your talents. Am I right? He had five. He put it to use, and he had another five. You are a worship leader. You put it to use, and you made another five worship leaders. Can somebody shout an amen? And one pastor, I make another five pastors. Shout a loud amen. Are you listening to me? I'm not that one guitarist. Till eternity comes, you'll see my face and see my guitar, and I will be using it till the strings wear out. The guitar dies, but you're still not wanting to give up your guitar. And that's not what the Bible talks about, multiplication. Say the word multiplication. No, 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 no. This won't sound good. Say loudly, multiplication. Now, this man who had five talents multiplied. Ten, five, he made ten. Then it goes on to say, and likewise, he who had received two gained how many more? How many more? Two more. What did he do? Did he use his talent or multiply his talent? I want to hear you loudly. Multiply his talent. And then it goes on to say, he traded with them two, but he who had one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. He knew it was not his. He knew it was the Lord, but he hid it. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and said, settled accounts. Can you say settled accounts? You see, it's a day of reckoning. Settle accounts. That day will be the judgment day. The investigation will happen to settle accounts. What did you do with your energy? What did you do with your life? 
What did you do with your brains that God has given you? What did you do with the talents that God has given you? I like the way it takes so Jesus. The Bible says he took a long time. So he who had received five talents came and brought another five talents. Now this is accountability. He's showing them, look, you gave me five, here's another five. And the Lord, you delivered me five talents. I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. What did he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Now here's the equation. Faithfulness is linked up to multiplication. Faithfulness is equal to multiplication, not maintenance. There was one with one talent. He had a maintenance attitude. You gave me one, I will maintain it. I will dig it, make sure nobody robs it. I will hide it in the ground. Complacency. Can you say complacency? I'll come to that a little more. Right here in the story. He says, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You know, I like the way God rewards us. He rewards us with more work. How many of you like that? You notice in every church, it's a few people who get more and more work. You know why? Faithfulness. You know those who don't do anything, never do anything in the church? It's always the faithful. You can count on a faithful one. That's why they multiply. He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Again, two multiplied. Multiplication is rewarded as a result of their faithfulness. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, when God uh, gives you a gift, he empowers you to multiply that gift. It comes naturally, multiply. Why do you think we raise a ministry team? Why do you think I can sleep at home while the team is working? Nice. I just laid on, you know, when the encounter weekend is going on, and said, Lord, bless them all now for the work they're doing. You see, there is an earthly reward as well as a heavenly reward. You see, multiplication is a fantastic idea. But you know what? We don't like to multiply our gift. We like to have entertainment. Come see me how I play my lead guitar. Ting, 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 ting. All clap. Come again next Sunday. Watch my guitar playing. We like to display our gifts rather than multiply our gifts. Isn't that true? And too many of us have billboards displaying our gift rather than getting busy multiplying their gift. That's why I don't waste my time displaying it. Going here, running there, running there. I want multiplication. Because God is looking for multiplication. He who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. You see, complacent, maintenance attitude. Don't do anything with the gift. I can give it back to God and say, God, I preserved it. Please say after me, and I said this on the New Year's night, I'd like to refresh your memory. Can you say this after me? I was created not for stagnation, but for progress. Okay, let's put it in a positive way. I was created for progress and not stagnation. Can you say that a little more loudly? I was created for progress and not stagnation. God never put a gift on the inside of you. God never called you by name so that you can live the rest of your life in a place of lethargy, in a place 
where you have a maintenance attitude, a complacent attitude. Look at what Jesus said to him. And the Lord said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Now look at how he associates wicked person. A wicked person, you have something to offer to somebody, but you don't do it. That's a wicked person in the Bible. You have an opportunity to give, but you don't want to give. Wicked and lazy. You knew that I will reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. At least that much you could have done. Invested it so that you would have a return. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has how many? Ten. So you get rewarded, and you get not only rewarded for what you've done, you get rewarded for someone with someone else's work they've not done. You get that also. To everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Look what the Jesus said. And cast the unprofitable servant. What's he called? Unprofitable. Why? Because he spent the entire life aimlessly purposeless in this world. He didn't multiply his talent. Not use his talent. Multiply his talent. Unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why discipleship is the heart of the Christian church. Discipleship needs to be redefined. Discipleship is not only imparting character to an individual, it's imparting ability to an individual. And the more people who are released in their God-given gifting and service, the more the kingdom will be progressive and the rewards will be great. There is an expectation in the heart of our Creator that everything He entrusts with us is for the purpose of multiplication. Multiplication. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I'd like us to look at this quote. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is Christians who have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. C.S. Lewis. I look at the church and I realize the ineffectiveness of the church today, the Christian world, is simply because we do not have an understanding of the eternal purpose of God in our life. Disciple of John, he says this in John chapter 1 verse 8, look to yourself, examine yourself, that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whatever we do, may we not lose the full reward that God wants for us. God is a rewarder. And that's a good thing. We are motivated in our Christian life not for an earthly reward. We are motivated for a heavenly reward. That's why throughout the scriptures, there's no time, but let's see how much we can do with this. Jesus said this, when you pray in secret, he sees you in secret and rewards you. They that seek him diligently will be rewarded. And the way we are motivated in our Christian life is by the rewards that God's going to give you and me. That's our motivation. Not just the earthly reward, but the heavenly reward. When God spoke to Abraham about a promise, God appeared to him in a vision and said, Abraham, I'm your shield and your exceedingly great 
reward. Are you blessed this morning? I want to leave you with one more verse. I never thought I had time. I'm going to share this one more verse. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, we are His workmanship. Now, you know why you go through sanctification in this world? Because God is working in your life. Do you know why your faith is challenged? Because God is working in your life. You are His workmanship. Another meaning for the word workmanship is masterpiece. We are His masterpiece. He's working on us. Why? Created in Christ. Can you say the word good works? Loudly. Say the word good works. You see, your good works will stand eternally. You were created for good works. You were designed, you were enabled for good works. Every single individual. And you could start with salvation as a gift that God's given you. You could do a lot of good works with that gift. Then it goes on to say, which God prepared beforehand, before you were born in this world, He marked you out for good works. And then He goes on to say that we should walk in them. So not only God chose us to be His children before the foundations of the earth, He chose us for good works even before the foundation of the earth. We thank God for salvation, but let's not neglect the purpose of our salvation. Have you ever thought that your one decision can make a huge impact and a huge difference in somebody else's life? The problem is we need to see beyond ourselves and see what we could give. And I thought to myself, when you lay in that coffin, it's not what you take that matters, it's what you leave behind. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.